The Tom Woods Show, episode 1379. Prepare to set fire to the index card of allowable opinion. Your daily dose of liberty education starts here. The Tom Woods Show. Folks, if you enjoy my smackdowns of crazy people, then you'll really enjoy my ebook, Sane Space Libertarian Dispatches from Bizarro America. Even better, it don't cost you nothing. Go pick up a copy at sanespacebook.com. Hi, everybody. Tom Woods here, talking today to Andy No. And I want to point out, by the way, if I can get a hold of him in time, I'm going to put at the end of this episode the conversation we had off the air, so to speak, about the pronunciation of his last name, because it's, it's spelled N-G-O. And I went to great lengths to make sure I was pronouncing it correctly. And then he just pronounced it No. And, and I had been told by every source I read that is not how to say it. So anyway, we had this funny back and forth about the pronunciation. So I hope if I – because I don't want to put something like that, that in without his permission because it was off the air. So if I can get that in time, we'll put that as a little Easter egg after the closing music for this episode. But anyway, you may know Andy from his uh, writing on the website Quillette where he is a sub-editor and photojournalist. He's – widely published on a variety of topics. In particular, recently, he's been doing a lot of work on fake hate crimes, hate crime hoaxes. But he's covered a lot of topics as well, and he's been bold. He's stood up against people with whom he shares a lot in common politically, and I I believe he's evolved a bit in his political thinking, perhaps as a result, but he's been out there doing work you know, basically standing up to Antifa mobs, trying to get to the bottom of what's going on, work that a lot of people, I think, would shrink from. Uh, nevertheless, he's out there doing. So we'll link at tomwoods.com 1379 to uh, several ways you can follow Andy, and I'm glad to welcome him. Andy, welcome to the show. It's a pleasure to be with you. I've had a lot of requests to chat with you, and so as I was telling you before, I give the people what they want, and and you are what they want right now. So I want to start off with a specific example of the type of reporting you've been doing, and then I want to get a little bit more general about you, your background, your interests, and, and so on. But in particular, what's been getting a lot of attention is your work on alleged hate crimes, anti-LGBT hate crimes in the Portland area of all places. Now, where are you based out of? I am based in Portland. Okay, so this is your backyard indeed. All right, so I've seen you in a number of places uh, talking about this topic, and in fact, I've even heard you on the radio talking about it. Uh, Maybe you're tired of giving the background, but it seems like a very important uh, episode to relate. So why don't you tell us what we need to know? Yes, thank you for having me on to speak about this. So I had a piece that ran in the New York Post earlier this week, and it details my investigation into a rash of alleged hate crimes against the LGBT community in Portland that sparked a rather big panic here. So what happened is that in February, a GoFundMe campaign had gone viral detailing how a Portland trans activist named Sophia Gabrielle Stanford had been brutally beat unconscious with the bat by right-wing assailants. And within days, a self-described fat queer activist named Jenny Brusso shared a different viral social media post alleging that alleging that her partner Bree Jones had been randomly attacked in another hate crime. 
Now, Portland is a extremely progressive city, and just the mere whisper of being a victim of a hate crime will earn you a lot of attention and sympathy. So there was an outpouring of support, um, but then that quickly became a panic and a story that what started off as two allegations of hate attacks then grew to five. Seven, ten, and fifteen. Uh, Portland Mayor Ted Wheeler weighed in.、Um, ride company Lyft even put out a statement, as well as the Democratic Socialists of America Portland chapter. That's a bit of the background, and I can continue if you'd like me to. Yeah, I think you know as I was reading the. As everything unfolded, and then you've interacted with some of the people who were involved, I thought to myself, I've become a pretty decent interviewer over one thousand three hundred seventy-nine episodes. But I think for this, I think I just need you to tell us the whole story, and then we'll talk. Sure. Okay. So I was skeptical of the claims because, for a number of reasons, one, we just had the Justice Smollett story fall apart, and then suddenly we had. In Portland, we had a series of Jesse Smollett-like claims, and the stories were becoming more and more absurd. So people were alleging that there were marauding right-wing gangs driving around our city, attempting to kidnap, beat, and kill LGBT people with weapons, including bats, hammers, wooden planks. And all the while, no evidence was being produced. No witnesses were willing to come forward. The two original alleged victims refused to speak to media. And、um, for you listeners who may not be familiar with Portland, Oregon, our, our politics are actually pretty important here in that it's a progressive monoculture. In the 2016 election, nearly 75% of the city voted for Hillary Clinton. So just to,、uh, I guess, believe that there. That all this had been happening and nobody had any evidence. Like to me, that was a huge red flag. But speaking out, unfortunately, in this climate, makes one a, a victim blamer or a reactionary, as I was called. So what I did was I initiated a series of public records requests, and the police reports document found that out of the fifteen allegations of hate attacks. Only one was actually reported to police. It was the first one, the one by the trans activist Sophia Stanford. And when I finally got that police report, the details in it are entirely different than what was alleged in the GoFundMe. The GoFundMe claimed that she had been randomly beaten in the back of the head with a bat so badly that she was unconscious, and that she needed intensive physical therapy, counseling, CT scans, and. And、those sensational details were—they、um, worked in that it, it was viral, and over ten thousand dollars was raised within days. But looking in the police investigation, what they had found was that she was extremely drunk and belligerent when officers arrived. She even threatened them. She had no idea what happened to her and was apparently so intoxicated that she lost the pistol that she was armed with at the time. More than one officer noted in the reports that it's likely she fell from being drunk. It was only the next day that all these other details of、uh, being attacked by a right wing gang that came on the GoFundMe, and it was never reported to police. Now, as for the 
the second woman, Jenny Brusso, the one who said her partner was attacked, she had said in her social media posts that she had reported it. Well, I contacted Portland police and she did not report it. Neither her nor her partner actually even, neither of them made a phone call to police. Um, the police actually attempted to reach out to them multiple times. They refused to cooperate, did not return the phone calls. And so that investigation was suspended. And as for the 13 plus other allegations, there was no evidence that it happened at all. And the police have no idea what people are talking about. So the details of my investigation were published in the New York Post earlier this week. And since then, a lot of people have been very <laughs> angry at me here just because, um, well, I think I have uh, burst the bubble of the, the game that they have been playing. And the thing is, all of this is not a victimless like, there are actually victims involved in this. What happened is that in the panic, what activists ended up doing was they printed out flyers listing names, phone numbers, addresses, and photographs of people they accused of being the attackers. Now, all the men I spoke to who were accused categorically deny, and most of them actually have some evidence to suggest that they weren't even around when these things happened. For example, some of them live hours and hours away or live in a different state, but they've been targeted. And these flyers are actually still all around Portland, posted in businesses and public areas, warning people, um, basically blaming innocent people. And one man that I spoke to um, named Robert, he started receiving death threats every day because his address and his phone number was released. So there's not been a single apology by any of these activists for what they've done. The alleged victims, all the ones that I, the alleged victims of the hate crimes, that is, whenever I, I reach out to any of them, they refused to comment and or blocked me across my social media. Now, I know that uh, on your Twitter feed, which is a very interesting and people should follow you, uh, you have talked, and then I've seen you, uh, in, I've read in the Daily Caller and stuff, I've read a lot of links where you're talking about other examples of hate crime hoaxes. Now, I'm pretty certain that one of the responses you would get is that, all right, it's obviously a shame when people invent stories, but it seems perverse to focus exclusively on these, they would say, that why is that your preoccupation when the fact is there are real-life hate crimes going on? You know, I mean, you don't need me to tell you what you're probably hearing a lot. How do you respond to that? I do hear that line of argument a lot, and I find it frustrating because hate crime hoaxes do happen. And what they do is they harm actual victims of hate crimes. They make it so that the public are less inclined to believe people. It hardens attitudes as well to real issues of racism or homophobia or transphobia. And I find that when people try to find a silver lining in hate hoaxes by saying, for example, uh, as they've told me many times that this may not have happened, but it brought attention to what's really happening to LGBT people. I I don't find that a convincing argument. It's really what that does is it will incentivize more people to either embellish or lie about being a victim. And we already live in a culture now where victimhood is really mainstream. This was something that I 
saw as the dominant ethos when I was a student at university, and now I see it really in the mainstream politics. And it's concerning to me. It, the um, looking at like what happened with Jesse Smollett and all the people who who have come out to basically say that well, you know, he may have lied, but racism and uh, police bias and homophobia are all real, and we need to pay attention to that. It's just, it's a, in my view, a, a sick way of looking at this, and we need to center victims, but at the same time, not give up common sense and skepticism and centering caution as well. Tell me about what you observed a number of months ago when you covered the Jordan Peterson event in Portland. Oh, <laughs> yeah. So Portland seems to be on the news a lot now for a number of reasons. One, I, I mentioned earlier that our politics here are important because as a progressive monoculture, we see many examples of the excesses of the progressive far left. And so last year when Jordan Peterson was on his book tour and he stopped in Portland, there was a, a large demonstration outside the venue of people accusing him of being transphobic and all the other accusations that he's frequently accused of by activists. In that example, I mean, it was it was a nonviolent protest. Everything seemed fine. But it's just to me, when I tried speaking to some of these people, they don't even know really what Jordan Peterson writes about. They are basically just sent out activist news releases, essentially, which um, misrepresent or, or even lie about uh, Jordan Peterson. And this then motivates people to come out in numbers. And I find that that's kind of how a lot of these activist groups in Portland are able to get sometimes hundreds and thousands of people to show up to a demonstration is basically to send out the most inflammatory and inaccurate information against their ideological opponents in order to rally people to their side. How would you describe your politics? Um... I used to be really reluctant about talking about my personal politics just because I used to work in the the student paper at Portland State and that environment made it so that I would have been persona non grata if I had been a bit too vocal. Now that I have moved a bit more into feature writing as well as essays and commentaries as well, I feel a little bit more comfortable stating that my, my politics are probably right of center. I think... My disillusionment with progressive politics is really, I'm very disillusioned with the progressive politics that I used to be sympathetic to just because of their now obsessive focus on identity. And for myself, I happen to carry several minority identities as being gay and the child of refugees and, and several other things. But what I see a lot of my progressive activist colleagues in the media doing is using these identities as a way basically to, as if in a, having one of those immutable characteristics makes you more knowledgeable or makes it so that people should listen to you more. I'm frustrated with that. I find at the same time, I haven't move straight into the right wing just because I I find that being center allows me to 
be critical of the excesses of both sides. And so... Well, that's interesting to hear you say because I, I had, maybe I thought you still more or less lingered on the left or identified yourself with the left. I've talked to a number of people, for example, Michael Rechtenwald, who's a former professor at NYU, who was a Marxist his whole career. And then he began to speak out a little bit against the kind of things that upset you about identity politics and so on. And he found himself targeted like you wouldn't believe, treated like he'd never been born. It was unbelievable what an outcast he became. And that behavior made him go back and re-examine his whole ideological premises because he, he wondered, could there be something wrong with the way I think that it leads people to behave this way? And that more than all the anti-Marxist treatises in the world is what got him thinking and, and changed his mind a bit. So that's interesting to hear you say that. Now, on the other hand, I, just, I do want to tell you that I feel like in the United States, what passes for the right wing is pretty thin gruel. So I can understand why you would well, look at the right wing is Sean Hannity and Mark Levin. I'm not sure I want to go running into the embrace of those people, but I consider myself to be pretty right of center, but libertarian. And my view is the state just accentuates all these problems. And I think people in general, I think a lot of folks, ordinary folks you talk to, are really tired of the hyper exclusive focus on race constantly. I think there are a lot of people who think the way you do, that um, this is not actually helping to make people get along better. It's clearly just dividing them and making them more full of resentment. Yeah, I actually get some of the most hatred that I get against me is by people who accuse me of being a traitor of some sort, either a traitor to my race or my sexual orientation. And that used to be really hurtful because it, it to be judged on a characteristic like that, like you would think that that's, I would have thought that, you know, if somebody claims to be progressive, that that's not something they would judge another person on. Um, I've now realized it kind of just comes with the territory of criticizing the progressive far left. I had my own sort of, I guess, eye-opening moment in 2017 when at that time I had been an editor at the student paper, the PSU Vanguard, for about a year. And then I went to a public interfaith event on campus and I... On my personal Twitter, I shared some of the video from that event. Um, one of the videos went viral. It was of the Muslim student sharing his views on the punishment for apostasy. And then uh, four days after that clip was shared, I was fired from the student paper in a secret meeting with an administrator and the editor-in-chief. And they brought up basically the the training that I had uh, had as a student editor in regards to social justice ethics, basically about learning about which groups are oppressors and victims and how the media already portrays Islam and Muslims and that I should have factored all those things in before I shared the video. And so to see the student paper that I worked with throw me under the bus and then try to smear my reputation, that that for me was a big eye-opener because it showed me that you would think that progressives would be on the side of wanting to shine a light on the reality of what it's like for people who live 
in countries where there's Islamic law and face persecution for either not believing in the right things or leaving the faith they were born in. But instead, I was smeared as a Islamophobe, and some people said that I was racist because of that. But that that whole experience has kind of characterized many other intersectional politics that I've encountered in this city. Well, I'm curious now to ask you then, given that you're saying that you've had a a bit of a maybe philosophical evolution, what was the first article you wrote in which, let's say, you were critical of, you know, a movement that you more or less felt like you belonged to, uh, namely the progressive left? Um... I wrote a pretty long feature story back when I was a student journalist on the persecution of atheist Saudi Arabians. Portland State, where I was a student, has a very large number of international students from Saudi Arabia, and most of them are on government scholarships. And they have a strict, I guess, like code of... uh, ethics that they have to live by. And one of them is they have to be religiously observant in Muslim. And I had interviewed some students who were closeted uh, non-Muslims, either converts to another religion or, or an atheist. And that story I thought would have been really well received in the Portland State community. Instead, a lot of my peers were very upset. They felt that I had singled out a quote-unquote oppressed, marginalized group. I was accused of using like a colonial paradigm in terms of criticizing a culture that's not my own. That was when I was made aware of intersectionality, of how it's not about standing up for so-called progressive ideals. It's about this really a whole a worldview and an ideology where as long as you have certain identities that intersect, you are ranked either higher or lower in your value and worth. And uh, unfortunately, those who come from an ex-Muslim background, they no longer had a voice in this type of worldview. Well, given your experiences and given where you have been ideologically, I'm curious about how you believe people on the progressive left square the idea that at least in principle and at least at one time, they genuinely did believe in freedom of speech. And now... It's more. I mean, it's not like they want to shut down all speech, but they obviously have a view that there are certain topics or even certain types of people whose views really – they don't deserve a hearing or they're automatically disqualified or it, this doesn't count as real speech or this is hatred or whatever. And, it, and it, it's well beyond what normal people would consider to be truly hateful speech. I mean, it could be just an article about crime or something, and then somehow they they get they get hate out of that. How are they? I mean, I, I my my feeling is I wonder if they did at one time truly believe in free speech, or if that was just a smokescreen for yeah, I believe in free speech when it's me, but when when I'm calling the shots, that's going to be the end of free speech. I mean, is it really that cynical, or or can you cheer me up about uh, how they really think? So in my Two years of documenting the um, leftist activism in Portland, what I find that it's um, the positions that these groups advocate for, they get more mainstream support in the city. And actually, you don't even just have to look to Portland. You can look at any other progressive 
place, whether it be an entire city or a university, what happens is you have a small number of activists who are ideologues who have taken the lead on certain issues and have shamed the majority of people into supporting them. So, for example, for things like related to policing, I'm just thinking of like as a microcosm on Portland State, we're a pretty large uh, university, and we had uh, we were one of the universities of our size to not have uh, an armed police presence. And so the board of trustees over a, a long process and a lot of deliberation decided to bring in armed off, uh, sworn officers to our police force. And that sparked this huge protest on campus led by probably maybe less than 50 people. But let this small group of 50 people, let's say, was leading the, the narrative for the tens of thousands of other students. And they set the tone that if you did not oppose the arming of police. You were for the killing of Black people. You were for systemic racism. And so they use these, these tricks, and it's, um, it's a strategy, really, to make it so that other people who might not agree entirely are left in fear of being ostracized and treated as persona non grata, and it really works. And then I see that repeated on a larger scale in the city as well on a number of other issues. Unfortunately, I don't see a lot of bravery from, I guess, the moderate left in pushing back. If any of them dare to, they get mobbed either online or in real life. Portland has had a terrible track record of businesses in particular being mobbed by social justice activists. You may have heard of the case a while back of the burrito food cart that was shut down and received death threats because they were run by two white women and activists accused them of cultural appropriation. They've done the same thing to many other businesses. And so it's, it's made our politicians fearful of this radical fringe, I would say. And, uh, Nobody seems to be brave enough to push back. Well, let me say something for you, uh, just on uh, your behalf, because you know you're a, you're a soft-spoken guy, but man, you are tough as nails. Some of the assignments you've given yourself, going out and confronting some of these uh, groups, that's not easy. And there are not a lot of people who would have the guts to go out there and do it. And it's really interesting to to watch you do it. Can you tell me something about Quillette? Is that how you say it? It is. Because it just seemed like it came out of nowhere. And then I would read one really good article on it. And then somebody would link me to another good article on it. And then I realized everything I read on this thing is good. What is this site? So how did that get started? Quillette is such an amazing online magazine. And I am so lucky to be connected to it. It was started just in 2015 by a young woman named Claire Lehman in Australia. And she basically just wanted to open up an online forum where people could submit long-form essays to talk about issues that were either deemed um, not politically correct or expressing views that might be dissident. And since then, in the... um, Three and a half years since, the site has grown exponentially, and we've brought in so many gifted writers, a lot of academics. Um, Sometimes some academics will have to write under a pseudonym in order to protect their careers. What is amazing about working for Claire Lehman, the editor-in-chief, is that 
She brings in a lot of talent by people who have been mobbed and kicked out of other places. For example, she gave me a chance to write for the site after I was fired from the student paper. And Claire saw that 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 was an injustice and she reached out to me and gave me an opportunity. Likewise, she has done that to many other talent affiliated with the site. And so for your listeners who may not be familiar with it, I, I highly recommend that they check it out. We the site covers number of issues that you probably won't see in the mainstream publications, but the ideas are expressed with nuance. And um, because it's online only, that we're not limited by um, space or like clickbait titles as well. We're funded through crowdsource funding, so we don't have to rely on ads and clickbait titles and inflammatory type of coverage in order to get viewers. Well, I love it, and I would love to see you guys get more support. You have your own personal Patreon, though, isn't that right? I do. I because I, I also work as a part-time freelance journalist, and if any of your listeners are, happen to be in that same field, you know that um, pieces, many of them, you don't get paid that much for it, but it can take a lot of time in the research and travel and all that. So I crowdfund support so that I can continue doing the writing that I do as a job. I've heard such, I've never been to Oregon. It's one of the five states I've never gone to. I've heard wonderful things about Portland that the politics I might not like, but there's so much that just keeps you there anyway. Is that how you feel about it? There's a lot of beauty in the city, of course. Um, there are, I know like the, what's happening a lot right now is people will crap on progressive politics and, and all the bad side of it. But at the same time, I think some people are overlooking some of the great things, like, for example, the welcoming environment, the emphasis on diversity and all that, which were things that I really liked. But now it's it's crossed over and mutated into something of where the diversity is meant on a very superficial thing, where, for example, if the space has too many white people, then that's suddenly a problem. And then people there are shamed. And it's really more about Uh, diversity based on skin color or sexual orientation and so on and so so forth. Those sort of superficial characteristics, not on ideological diversity. And I I hate to repeat a cliche, but I would say that the the path to hell is paved with good intentions. What we have is a city council and mayor who are motivated by a desire for social justice, but then... Basically, the policies that they have pursued have um, empowered the radical extremists in the city, for example, Antifa, and allowed them at various times to basically take over parts of our downtown with impunity and attack people in the public without prosecution, without arrests. We've had that. We've also had now a really growing issue with um, vagrant camps growing in certain areas, which has not just um, uh, health issues, but it's um, security issues as well. And whenever, if anybody dares to talk about any of these social issues in a way that's different from the prevailing ideology, you get smeared as heartless, racist, uh, hateful, so on and so forth. So I love the city, but I I tire of its politics. And um, I would urge political centrists and the Republican Party to look at trying to recapture the hearts and minds of young people because 
here, what I'm seeing every day is the the growing movement of um, socialist sympathizers and even communists as well. And just with my own family background, my parents uh, lived under a communist Vietnam and were severely persecuted. And uh, they fled that. And to see that a lot of my co-city dwellers are looking back on history, either the history of the Vietnam War or the Soviet Union or Cuba or anything like that with such rose-colored glasses, it's frustrating to me. And I'm, I'm wondering who is going to speak out and, and bring in their perspective. Right. All right, well, as we wrap up then, if people would like to get more of your work and or start following you to, uh, to begin with, then Quillette.com is the place to go, or what should they do? I'll put a link to your personal Patreon for people who are inspired by the work you're doing. I'll put a link to that at tomwoods.com slash 1379. But any other link you'd like to supply us, I'll gladly include. Yeah, I think people can get the most up-to-date updates about what I'm doing on my Twitter, and my handle for that is Mr. Andy Ngo, that's M-R-A-N-D-Y-N-G-O. I publish um, at a number of places so you can find my writings on Quillette. You can also find it on National Review as well as Wall Street Journal and most recently, the New York Post. Tremendous. Okay, so we'll also link to your Twitter account as well. Well, I appreciate your time. I'm glad to have had a chance to get to know you more or less in this conversation and continued good luck to you. Thank you very much for having me on. All right, folks, let's talk about what's coming up on the show on Monday. You know I'm a Spoonerite when it comes to the Constitution. I hold the Lysander Spooner view that, look, I didn't consent to this, so you know, draw your own conclusions. But as a historian, I'm still very interested in the Constitution. And I do think that if you follow the logic of the Constitution, there is a way to interpret it. There is a correct way to interpret it. And I do believe in some form of so-called originalism. Well, it turns out that originalism is being, let's say, corrupted. There is a there are some fake versions of originalism. And we're going to talk about fake originalism, which is coming from certain quarters. We'll, we'll identify what quarters those are. They're familiar quarters. They're quarters that where, you know, sometimes these people get things right and sometimes, man, these people could somehow screw up sand in the desert. And they are also screwing up originalism. So we're going to talk about that topic, which is a topic I love. We're going to find out who are these people who are being constitutional troublemakers, let's say. That's going to be our subject. I promise you it is a great, great conversation and episode. So check out episode 1380 when it comes out next week, and I'll see you then. Become a smarter libertarian in just 30 minutes a day. Visit TomWoods.com to subscribe to the show for free, and we'll see you next time. All right, before we depart, now we're off the air, so to speak. Um, I'm curious about how you just pronounced your last name. How did you pronounce it? It is pronounced no. Really? Because I yeah. I was so curious and I didn't want to do the wrong thing. <laughs> so I spent I spent like 10 minutes re- researching this, make sure I didn't get it wrong. And everybody was telling me that is absolutely not how to pronounce it. Really? Yeah, they were saying it's more like you're supposed to take the NG really like it is the NG in the word song. Okay, okay. You know what? They are actually right. I'm surprised that you found somebody or people who actually know. Correct. It is like the NG in song. However, because in the English language, we do not have any words where that sound is at the beginning. For me, when I when people ask, I say 
no is fine because it sounds close enough to no. But um, okay, yeah. okay, because I was reading people who were saying, "Look, you're a you're a stupid backward hick if you can't say my name." So I was all panicked. <laughs> I I know. I'm practicing it in the in my office. I appreciate that. I've actually seen some social justice activists who say, "If you mispronounce my name, then that's racism." I I think that's that's BS. I mean, <laughs> okay. um, my name is hard to pronounce, so I don't blame anybody. Oh, that's right. So that's why when you, I said, oh, he's going to say his Twitter handle. Now I'll really get to the bottom. <laughs> so anyway. All right. Well, listen, thanks for doing this. I'll, sit, I'll shoot you a link over tomorrow because I think I'll use this as tomorrow's episode. I have five episodes a week. It's totally crazy. But oh, that's I'll, a uh, lot. Wow. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. But I've been doing it for five and a half years. It, it works. Um, but I'll shoot the link over to you and we'll, we'll circulate it around and I hope it gets you some more followers. Like the sound of The Tom Woods Show? My audio production is provided by Podsworth Media. Check them out at podsworth.com.